0: Hey guys, what's up? Uh, it's Adam Levy here for the Soto Mojo Podcast. It's our fifth edition. This week we're going to be going over the WBC. Just closed up. We had some big guys doing some big things. Then we got a spring training update. The roster is boiling down to only a couple spots that are remaining. We've got our interesting stat of the week. We've got our people's voice. We got a good question in from Twitter. And I hope you guys enjoy the show. Let's get started. Welcome in again, guys. It's Adam Levy, editor of Soto Mojo Podcast. I'm here with Colby Patnode, our minor league guru, and Alex Summerfield, our Soto Mojo comedian. What's up, guys?
1: What's going on? What's up?
0: You got a funny joke for us, Alex?
1: Start things I'm, off. I'm not a. I'm not like an off the top. You gotta you gotta give me something, and then I can make some funny jokes. But
0: situational kind
1: of. I'm guy. a situational kind of comedian. If, if, I, if I was going to call myself a comedian.
0: Well, something something I'm sure will come up, so you'll yes. have a chance. <laughs> so we'll start in with our stat of the week. Uh, this I find to be something that you would only see at a Mariners trivia night at one of the Seattle area pubs. So last Friday, uh, a couple of days ago, the Mariners finished their third and final split uh, split squad set. And they split the games uh against the Royals and uh who else was it? Do you guys know? Uh, the- Royals and Angels. There you go. The Royals and Angels. And so the Mariners with their three split squad matchups, they finished the season uh three and three. So, the interesting stat of the week happens to be that in the last 11 years, the Mariners have only had a positive above 500 win record in two of those seasons. Do you guys know which they were?
1: It's got to be, like, the worst years of the Mariners. They just happened to be good in spring training or something like that.
2: (laughs) Uh, I would guess, yeah, I'm kind of agreeing with Alex on this one, so it's got to be, like, 2010 and like 1999 or something like that.
1: The uh, uh, last 11 years.
0: Yeah. About. If we had the data back until then, I'm sure you'd be right, Colby. It was in 2008 when they were wow. 3 2 and 1 that tie gave them the advantage, as well as in 2014, which was actually a good year for the Mariners, where they finished 4 3 and 1. Another tie helped them out. Now to Alex's point, actually in 2007 when the Mariners finished 14 games above 588 and 74, they had a uh, split squad record of 1 and 9 which is their worst in 11 years.
1: So and this is why spring training doesn't matter. Exactly.
0: So, um, you know, I guess I'll get you guys' take after that uh, after that kind of uh, tidbit. So what do you guys feel about the uh, split-squad matchups? Do you think they're good? Do you think it's uh, a good method and they should keep continuing it? Because, you know, they only get about two, three, or sometimes one each, each spring training. So what are your guys' thoughts on that?
2: Uh, I think it's uh, really tough, in particular during the, uh, the World Baseball Classics, to actually be able to field two competitive teams um you know I don't really care about split squad honestly um if it helps some of your younger guys get at bats that they wouldn't normally get, then I'm all for it but in year, in a year like this when you're already without you know cruz cano uh you know uh Felix and all those guys it's kind of tough to to uh build two competitive teams so the uh the the record of a split squad game really shouldn't mean that much to mariner fans.
1: I was thinking more along the lines of you just get young players more at bats. You're talking about you no know, and Cruz, they're not gonna be there. Well that's just more opportunities for all these young guys to get a bat against big league pitching or somewhat big league pitching. It just gives guys more opportunities with these uh, split squad. Um just you wanna you only have a certain amount of time in spring training and you wanna get as much uh as much up- or as much chance as you can get and yeah. <laughs> yeah, I didn't
0: Yeah, no, I mean, it goes both ways, you know, uh, you know, competitive baseball is always important, but you know, that, uh, that minor league guy who's maybe in single A, the non-roster invitee who gets that opportunity, you know, it's a big, big chance for him, you know, even if he probably won't make the roster, you know, at least he gets to play with some of the big guys.
2: Yeah, you know, and it's, uh, I don't know, it just, uh, there was a few, uh, games ago, Drew Smiley went down and he pitched in a, uh, minor league game against the Padres like double-a affiliate and he got lit up um and basically a lot of that is is that you know these double-a guys have nothing to lose so they're just up there hacking you know Smiley's working on some stuff and uh you know and he just gets roughed up and then you know you have this little 10 percent part of the population who starts to panic um but you know yeah it's it's great for the guys to come up from double-a um you know, it's certainly there's been a few prospects that have kind of uh caught my eye a little bit, uh, watching them play in the split squads and listening to them. So, uh yeah, you know, there's certainly benefits. Um I just I don't see it as being uh I don't I don't think it needs to change. I don't think uh I think there were too many split squad games, but if you're only gonna play three or four a year, that's that's fine.
0: Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's good that you mentioned um, Drew Smiley because obviously, you know, he pitched today and uh, didn't have a great line. I think he gave up four earned runs and about six or seven hits. But then you see him go out in the WBC against arguably a stronger lineup, and then he he pitches phenomenally. Obviously, that was the matchup against Felix Hernandez, and we'll get to that uh, a little later on. But, you know, you see that performance from Smiley, but then you see other guys, you know, Taylor Motter, Boog Pal, and others in spring training. So I guess, you know, we're, we're winding down in the spring training balls. So who's caught your eye in the past week, guys?
2: Um, well, in terms of uh, guys who might actually make the big league team, uh, James Pazos is kind of an interesting guy. I didn't really like the deal, but you can watch him pitch and he, you understand why the Mariners would be interested. He's got really good stuff. Um, and it kind of looks like he's going to be the second lefty out of the bullpen. And, uh, you know, it was also nice to, uh, to hear Tony Zick got into the game today. And that's a guy who could be a really valuable asset. Uh, sounded like he struggled with his command a little bit, but, uh, you know, he got through an inning without getting hurt. And that's something that, uh, Mariners fans should be excited about.
1: Yeah, with pauses. uh, I read, I had this in the article that I wrote the other day, but he was he struggled there or he didn't do very well in his first outing. And then he hasn't given up a run in his last five or six outings, something like that. Uh, so yeah, I think he has a really good shot at making the, the uh, coming out of the bullpen. And then for offensive guys, I was thinking more Hanager. He's just he's just tearing it up. I, he's gotten me more excited. I know Riley was really high on him, and he's he's hitting 400 in spring training right now. he's got me really excited.
0: Yeah, when it comes to him at the plate, you know, speaking of his home runs and then also just the way he's uh, he's getting on base, I mean, he's got that pop off his bat, which, uh, you know, to see that kind of power from him and, and Nelly, you know, is is big deal. You know, it's one thing to hit a home run that barely goes over the wall, but there's another thing to, to hit a home run that really just flies out of the park. And Hannigan has surely done that a couple of times this spring. So he's got some good raw power to him.
2: Yeah, uh, Haniger, I think hit his tenth double of the of uh, the spring today. Um, he's going the other way. He's got like a nine game hitting streak. Um, you know, I try. I really liked Haniger, and then I decided that I was going to try really hard not to get too excited because I mean the guy's a twenty six year old rookie. But uh, you know, my excitement level is really starting to creep back up, and uh, you know, Hanigers a really important player, So I hope this can carry into the uh, the regular season. And I don't want to get. No, no, go
1: ahead, Alex. I was just saying, uh, just with the the Ben Gamble and Guillermo Heredia battle that's sort of been going on for the fourth outfielder during spring training. I think Heredia has kind of taken that over. He's had a lot better spring training than than Gamel has, and I think in Gamel's going to start the league or start the season in in AAA.
0: Yeah, there's been uh, quite a lot of moves. You know, uh, we broke down the infield uh last week was it or the week before and then um you know we had talked about um O'Malley and Matter and obviously unfortunately O'Malley goes down and so you're not looking at uh many many different options in the infield especially with Vogelbach being sent down as well and we'll touch on that because I know Colby you were kind of a psychic on that a couple weeks back noting that Vogelbach shouldn't be a roster lock. But, you know, with the infield kind of looking like it's going to be fairly thin, at least to begin the season, uh, that option either to have uh, Gamble and Heredia in the outfield or maybe, as you said, Alex, you know, to have just Heredia. It'll be interesting to see what happens in the next week.
2: Yeah, it sounds like they want to go with a 13-man bullpen. So uh, we'll see what (laughs) happens with that
0: right well yeah we i uh I can't wait to get into the bullpen breakdown. I don't know if you guys saw, but um divish actually Ryan Divish of the Seattle Times actually wrote <clears throat> a really interesting piece, kind of breaking it down, and it seems like you know there's already six spots that are locked in, so if they're gonna do the eight man pen or a thirteen or realistically more than that, you know. Uh there's a bunch of guys still remaining uh in the uh, spring camp uh, that uh have those options to fill those spots. So I actually really like uh Dylan Overton, you know, the Mariners just got him two months ago to the day actually. And uh yesterday he uh he was kind of on fire. Uh he went six innings, gave up one hit, I believe and was really on command with his off-speed pitch his changeup is is uh really spectacular i've never, it's rare to see a change that has so much movement it's almost like a, a change in a sinker and one so it was really good to see him and then his uh his overall spring era is 2.65 my only worry for him is that um You know, he's got a great spring record. I think his spring career ERA is below two. But then last year we saw him and he had like an 11.47 ERA and five starts with the athletics. So it'll be interesting to see if he can translate the game if he gets the spot. You know, you had mentioned Pezos and obviously there's uh, Zbchinski, you know, who are lefties that are battling for a spot in the pen. And uh, that's just another lefty that's an option. So, um, you know, we'll we'll see how that boils down in the end. And then so that we got the spring ball, but then obviously this past week, you know, we had the WBC. So the big highlight was obviously Edwin Diaz and his incredible close uh, earlier this week to get his team into the championship round. So what did you guys think of Diaz?
2: Uh, filthy. <laughs> I mean... Uh what i really like about diaz is is that he's definitely not afraid to go up and in and uh move guys in the box it makes him very uncomfortable um and he's got that wipeout slider so he's going to be murder on righties uh the only concern i have is that the fastball command is a bit touch and go um you know last year i think i think the hitters hit like 308 up against the fastball but only like 165 against the slider So uh, if he can really control that fastball and put it right where he wants it every time, he's borderline unhittable. So uh, it was really cool to see him pitch uh, Puerto Rico into the World Baseball Classic final.
1: I was happy that the Mariners were going to let him pitch in the final. You know, Puerto Rico didn't put up much of a fight in that game, but I was glad that the Mariners were going to let him. He seemed like he had a lot of passion for playing for his country, and it should be fun to watch him pitch for an entire season not just the last half of the season coming this coming up this coming season
0: yeah the wbc really uh made mariners pitchers. you know they highlighted him pretty well you know felix hernandez was obviously amazing against smiley as we mentioned smiley was really good in that venezuela usa matchup as well um and felix hernandez is just been you know like the old felix he's uh between spring ball and the wbc in his last start he's been incredible uh what did you guys notice from felix's last start against the uh against the usa
2: uh the obvious one is the velocity he jumped up he hit uh, 93.6 uh last week was the official measurement and he was sitting at 91 92 so i mean that's really nice to see that if felix really needs it he has it in his back pocket um and you know just continuing what we've seen all spring the curveball looks really good this year and uh you know i'm wondering if maybe that's becomes the new out pitch it used to be the change up uh the changeup's still really good but that curveball this spring has been dynamite so uh i'll be interested to see if he uses it more but definitely the uptick in velocity against the usa is the thing that kind of uh makes you stop and raise your eyebrows a little bit
1: uh felix just seemed really amped at their <laughs> every inning every pitch that I was going every out he got and it seemed like all the Mariners playing in the WC WBC were really excited for baseball really excited to be with the Mariners in Riley's article he wrote that or uh, C- Cruz said after one of the he hit a home run that and someone asked him who's the be- who's the better team this and Cruz goes the Mariners and I think they're all just really excited and they realize that this team has a good chance this year
0: yeah, it'll be very exciting. Uh, for me, you know, Felix, it's it's about hitting the zone. You know, the past two years he's struggled with his walks, and, you know, just quickly looking at his uh, spring stats, 72 of his 90 pitches have been strikes. I mean, that's absurd. Uh, and his strikeout-to-walk ratio is 10 to 1. You know, obviously this is spring training, but uh, those are really great to see, plus a whip of point uh, – and a batting average against of 205 so you know we're seeing Felix you know like you guys said he looks really hyped up and you know he's really being more aggressive which is obviously what got Felix to be as good as he was in his prime years so that's great to see
2: yeah and we uh we also saw last night I think it was Felix pitched against the Giants and he was only sitting at about 89 miles an hour and he was still extremely effective because he was aggressive with the fastball. He moved it up in the zone. He moved it down in the zone. So it's just nice to see that, yeah, Felix can hit 93 if he really needs it, but he can also pitch at 88, 89 miles an hour, and his secondary stuff is still good enough that he can can handle a pretty good lineup.
1: If we want to throw out some more spring training statistics, Dylan Overton hasn't walked anyone in 17 innings.
0: Yeah, and that's impressive more because, you know, he's still uh it's always tough to come back from Tommy John surgery, which he had in 2013, I believe. Right. And um you know, but for him, so he's not hitting uh low 90s like he used to. He's still a high, he's right now just a high 80s fastballer, but with his off-speed pitches, he's able to really uh command the plate and he's uh he's obviously got some great control. So, good good point out, Alex. so then we've got um you know what what does this all tell us i guess about uh you know what to expect from 2017 i know that you know we've kind of had this running dialogue that spring training doesn't matter wbc you know obviously this year was a little more amped up and exciting but felix is on this tear i think in his last two starts combined wbc and Uh, And that one against the Giants, like Colby mentioned, he's pitched 11 innings and given up four hits and no walks. So is this Felix starting to be Felix? And is he going to start 2017 this way? And uh, with Smiley, you know, having his up and down, what to expect there? And I'd say the biggest letdown um, of the WBC was um, Giovanni Gallardo. He was kind of rocked all over the place and even this spring. so. Uh, What is this telling you guys about 2017, or is it not telling you anything?
2: I mean, with the obvious disclaimer that you'd rather see your guys do really well in spring training than do poorly, it doesn't really tell me much, at least the stats don't. When I watch Felix Hernandez pitch, I am a little bit more excited because it looks like his fastball command is there. Uh, Felix Felix isn't going to be the guy who hits 95 anymore, and he hasn't been for the last I don't know, four, four years, but if he can control, if he can command the fastball spot in in all four quadrants, his off-speed stuff is more than good enough for him to come back and be a number one type of pitcher. I don't think you're ever going to see dominant Felix Hernandez who with a, you know, with a low two ERA, but you could certainly see Felix Hernandez as the solid number one with a low three ERA striking out eight guys per nine innings and only walking a couple guys a game. So, uh, in terms of Felix, that's, uh, that's about what I would expect. That's and that's that's actually better than what I would have expected coming into spring training. So I guess you can say, yeah, you know, I have kind of altered my opinion on him so far.
1: Yeah, I was thinking about Gallardo a little bit ago, and thinking he wasn't doing that well in WCC. It doesn't look like he's doing that well in spring training. So if there is some question mark about the manager's pitching staff because their bullpen isn't. There's not much of a question there. Just who's going to make it, and their uh, starting rotation is pretty set. But Gallardo is. He's, 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 he's kind of questionable right now. He's not, he's not where you'd probably want him to be, even though it's just spring training, but that might be one of the questions about the Mariners pitching staff. But Felix looks great. Uh, we saw his workouts this off season. It's something that doesn't look very fun, but it's definitely going to benefit him in the long run for this season. I think he's just more mentally prepared, mentally focused than he's been in years past for this upcoming season because of all the additions and how good this roster looks.
0: Yeah, he you know, all the reports over the offseason, you know, when um, I think he was quoted as saying that he was angry, you know, during this offseason, he had that fire in his stomach. So there's something within Felix that's brewing that is definitely different from last year. And then, you know, obviously, when we're talking about preparation for 2017, you know, the big news of the week with these roster moves is that Vogelbach is now going to start the year in AAA, and Valencia is going to be alone at first. Uh, This came to a surprise to many people, because as soon as uh, Valencia was brought on, it was almost a foregone conclusion that there would be a platoon at first. Uh, Colby was a skeptic from the beginning, so Colby, I guess I'll let you lead it off. You know, you called it, so uh, do you feel vindicated, or why do you think this happened?
2: Uh, I don't feel vindicated because I really like Daniel Vogelback. Uh, like his, I like his upside, and I think he can hit, and I think he will hit at the big league level. Um, it's a little disappointing, but it's not at all surprising. Um, you know, it just when I look back at the uh, at the roster, the way it sat in early February, I think is when I wrote the article. Uh, you know, it just really didn't make much sense for Jerry Depoto to be claiming a athletic team when you have one of the most unathletic players. In the league in your starting lineup now I mean, he was only going to play first base, so you don't have to be super athletic but uh it just really didn't make sense to me to have two first basemen, um, especially when valencia he crushes lefties and he's he's fine against righties he's average against right handed right handed pitching so uh he's it's not like he's a terrible terrible right handed hitter um but you know i just it didn't make sense to me to see the uh to see two first basemen on the roster. I'm a little bit surprised that they might only carry, you know, 12 hitters, but I'm not really that surprised that Vogel back, uh got sent down. And besides that, he wasn't hitting as well as he needed to to make this team. And his defense, while it looked improved, it wasn't anything spectacular. So uh, I'm not surprised. I don't expect him to be down for all that long. But, uh, yeah, you know, it's just, just a little bit of a little bit of uh Knowledge on my end and a whole lot of luck. So uh, I would expect Vogelback to be up, though probably before June. So I don't think this is a long-term thing.
1: I think we kind of have to congratulate Jerry Depoto for not rushing up his somewhat prized, not really a prized position, but he made a big trade for him last last season. He didn't want to rush him, you know. They, you kind of, you that was kind of the lock. You thought it was just going to be a platoon. He's not going to rush him like the the last regime would, I as we saw Zanino get rushed and then he just struggled up here and he wasn't ready and he's had to go back down. He's always had his struggles. So I think the longer Vogelbach's down there, he's going to get more at-bats and he'll eventually be ready to come up and he'll produce like we had, We saw uh, Zanino had his his good moments uh, last season.
0: And just to put this out there, because immediately when I saw this I was thinking, so Valencia is going to be at first, and we know that O'Malley's out for now and Modder's a utility guy. you know there were reports that um that Valencia would also play some time at third so now that he's the lone guy at first, do you think that that kind of goes to Modder, or how do you think that's gonna play out
2: no i still I think that uh essentially the nice thing about Valencia is is that he can play third base and instead of giving Kyle Seeger three days off, you can give Kyle Seeger you know, 15 days off, and hopefully he stays fresher into September. Um, As for Motter, they played him at first base a few days ago. Um, So I still think that you'll see Valencia at third, maybe against a really tough left-handed pitcher. You'll see Valencia at third, and then you'd see Motter at first. So I don't think this eliminates (laughs) Valencia's playing time at third base. Um, It probably just increases Taylor Motter's playing time at first base.
1: Or we could see moderate third in Valencia could just stay there. That's another option, I guess, or something like that.
0: Right. With Depoto, there's endless options. So, you know, <laughs>
1: whatever he decides to do. Organizational, organizational depth.
0: Exactly. So moving on to our feature, we've, got, uh, we've broken down the outfield, the infield, and now we're going on to the end, the rotation. So now we're going on to uh, the bullpen. So we've touched on it a little bit lately, uh, earlier. And um, so, obviously, you know, there's a lot of guys still on the active roster. Let me get it up here. we still got guys like Casey Fiend, Dylan Overton, um, James Pezos, Zbchinski, Scribner, Simmons, who's still recovering from injury, uh, Vincent, Waylon, Zick. But, um, you know, we've only got, Seven or eight spots. So how's it all going to boil down, guys?
2: Uh, I think you got to take take Casey Fiend off of that uh, pile of maybes. He seems like he's a pretty sure yes. Um, You know he got a uh, he got a major league deal this off season from the Mariners. So I think you probably put him in. Um, Zick's not going to be ready. Um, He's probably about a month away. Uh, Waylon, I'm assuming they'll send down to get some uh, starts because they want to keep him stretched out. So, uh, you know, I think that the way it's looking right now, in the bullpen, you're going to have Diaz as the closer, and then you'll probably have Vincent, Zipchinski, um, Fien, uh, Altavilla, that'll be your that'll be your main five, and then, uh, you know, Pazo, Pezos or Overton for the second lefty spot, uh, they sent down Miranda, so it'll be one of those two, probably Pezos, and then uh, I think you're probably looking at uh, those six for sure, and then...
1: And then after that, it's a real crap shoot. I have to agree with you on, uh, on Fiend and, and Pazos. I think they want to keep Overton as a starter for right now, kind of similar what they're playing to do with Miranda. But yeah, I just – I overall agree with you for the most part of the bullpen. I don't think you mentioned Rip Chinsky, but him too.
0: So do you think that uh... – You mentioned both Miranda. So do you feel that that was uh, justified to send him down instead of giving him a bullpen shot? You know, he uh, started out spring pretty well, and then also he finished last season on fire. He was kind of the the surprise mariner of the end of 2016. So do you think that that's a smart move to kind of give him reps in the lower ball before he gets uh, sent up again?
2: I think that move is a hedge uh hedge bet against uh Giovanni Gallardo. Uh like you said, he hasn't been good this year. Um I feel like if they were really confident in Gallardo and uh you know and they had no reason to send down uh, uh Miranda, then he'd be in the bullpen. But I think that they're a little bit concerned there. They like what they have in Miranda, so they're gonna send him down so they can keep him stretched out. Um, you know, if if uh Gallardo comes in and he's a solid number five starting pitcher then yeah, I wouldn't shock me if in, you know, late April you see them announce that Miranda's gonna start transitioning into the bullpen down in triple A and be brought up eventually. But uh for me I think that's smart just because Miranda's your first call if there's an injury or if there's uh just bad pitching on the part of uh more than likely Giovanni Gallardo.
1: Right, it's it's really tough to get through a full hundred and sixty two game schedule and not and only have you go with your five stars all the time so like I said a little bit ago organizational depth you've got Miranda if you need a if you need a start for the day if, or if someone gets hurt or like someone like you said someone's not performing very well and you also have Overton or uh yeah I think that's kind of the two that you'll have uh the two extra starters you'll have besides the five you're starting the season with
0: and continuing with that organizational depth, it seems like that strategic move that you were talking about, Colby, with um, with Miranda and AAA, it looks like they're doing the same with Heston, because uh, they sent him down to AAA as well, and he's a potential uh, fifth starter. Um, you know, the other moves that uh, Depoto has made is that he reassigned Martin, Cody Martin, and then also Gene Machi, who the Mariners just... Uh, picked up and Nick Hagadone as well so those are four more guys who aren't going to be on the opening day roster as well so do you guys feel that those are those are the smart moves
2: uh yeah I don't think any of those guys really had a shot to make the big league bullpen so uh, it's not really that surprising I think those are all definitely bullpen guys um, they'll go down to triple a and uh, they'll pitch out of the bullpen there I know that they're really intrigued by Hagadon. They think that his velocity is going to come back. And if it does, that's a nice little lefty piece that you have. But, uh, you know, that's I think it's always smart to have as many relief pitchers as you can possibly find uh, and cram as many into your organization as you can because, like Jerry DiPoto says, that's that's a wolf pack. The bullpen is a wolf pack mentality. You know, the strength of the pack is the wolf, whatever. You know the saying. So uh, it's always good for me. Uh, to have as as much depth as you can in AAA.
1: Yeah, we're certainly going to see all those guys up at the major league level at some point this year. There's always injuries or something's going on, or and well, we'll Jerry Depoto might make another move like he did at yeah. the end of last spring training and get Vincent. So it, that's always a possibility with Poto and his never-ending trades, which I like. But.
0: And if you've seen The Hangover, you uh, you know the Wolf Pack right so <laughs> oh boy according to uh to Divish, he says that six spots are locked up so he has six of the uh, potential seven or eight spots right now going to edwin diaz sebchinski altavilla nick vincent evan, evan Scribner, and casey fien uh you know colby you both had mentioned uh Fiend, so you guys got that one right. So that obviously leaves a couple spots. Before we go on to the lefties, uh, which is definitely what it boils down to, how do you guys feel about those six as a selection?
2: Uh, I think that there's a lot of power arms there. Um, you know, any t- I'm assuming that Diaz will be the closer. I mean, that's a pretty obvious assumption, but uh, Altavilla is probably going to be the setup guy. Those are both guys who can hit a hundred. They both have really nasty off-speed stuff. So I mean, it's if I mean, the only reason you wouldn't trust them is because they're young. But uh, they handled themselves well last year. Uh, you know, Vincent. There was an article on Fangraphs a few months ago. Vincent has one of the hardest fastballs to hit in Major League Baseball. I think it was second behind uh, behind sure. Chapman. Yeah. yeah, yeah, which is crazy because Vincent only throws 89 miles an hour, but. Uh, you know you know what you're gonna get for him from him uh it felt like he was overused last year, and they admitted as much, so uh you know you dial him back down and then to me, the real wild card here is Evan Scribner um uh, you know, he didn't give up a run last year, obviously, that's not gonna be the case, but he's looked really good ever since he's joined the Mariners organization. He's got that big curveball. And uh you know, he doesn't walk anybody, so I, I'm fine with the bullpen. Uh I think there's some good upside there. There's some really power arms there, and there's also some guys who uh who can get things done with some deception, so I think it's a good blend of uh of arm talent and uh a veteran uh know how.
1: Yeah, Vincent always seemed to come in at the worst times last year. Like, who is this guy? He's terrible but Yeah, and then I saw the articles like, Oh, wait, he's pretty good. Uh but yeah, I think all those righties are going to be, uh, I, yeah, I like them. Um, but yeah, like you said, power arms. I the whole it seems like they have a lot of guys that are throwing near hundred or over a hundred, and uh, yeah, we talk, and then lefties. Yeah, Pazos and C Pazos is also a power arm. It just I really like their bullpen. They, all I like I like the guys that throw really fast.
0: Yeah, it'll be interesting to see. I mean, if you could uh, substitute, you know, Scribner and Altavilla at the end before Diaz, you know, and they're really on point. You know, that's a lot of heat with a lot of skill. so it'll be interesting. So what the article also breaks down, and it mentions some guy that we really haven't touched on, and he's kind of gone way under the radar since the Mariners picked him up, is Dean Kiekeffer, uh, from Kiekeffer. The, uh, they picked him up from the, um, the Colonels, I believe. And uh, so, Divish has him and Pezos battling out for the final left-hander spot. And saying that Overton pitched well, but it uh, you know who knows if he's going to play one of those uh, fill-in starter roles or bullpen. So, you know, uh, does it come as a surprise that Key Keffer, even though you know he's been under the radar, that he may be that lefty option? Or do you think it's a lock kind of uh, that it's going to go to Pezos?
2: I think it's about a 75 to 80% lock that it goes to Pezos. Um, you know, I know that they really like both, but uh, it's kind of hard to find a player that the Mariners say they don't like. But uh, I think they really like Pezos. Uh, his stuff, when he can throw throw for strikes, is borderline unhittable. And uh, Pezos also, he's not just a lefty specialist. He can actually he can get righties out too, uh, you know, when he's throwing strikes. So I think that... Uh, that combination of not being just a you know a one out lefty guy really gives the edge to pesos.
1: Yeah, like I said I think they want to keep Overton as that extra starter guy and Pazos is he's been really he's been really good after his first rough outing, but I think it definitely goes to pesos
0: And then looking down the line, I mean, you know, this is uh, a couple months down the road But, you know, with Chase Simmons looking to return from a forearm injury and Steve Ciszek, you know, with his hip injury, his return uh, looks like it may be a little postponed. It was supposed to be, I think, in mid-May. Now it might be a couple weeks after that. But those are obviously two right-handers. How do you think once they're both uh, ready and healthy, how do you think that will affect the righties in the pen?
2: Uh, Well, first of all, I think uh, it's important to note that had he not gotten hurt, Shea Simmons would be in this bullpen. They really think highly of him. He's got amazing stuff. Um, You know, you talk to some of the people in the Braves organization, they called him like a mini Craig Kimbrell. So uh, he's got really good stuff. Um, And with C-Shack, you know, as much as people gave him grief last year for like six blown saves, he's actually pretty solid. So uh, when those guys come back... It's only going to improve your bullpen. Uh, Simmons has the stuff to be a closer, to be an eighth-inning guy. And, you know, and Cishek has done that in the past, and he's been pretty good at it. Uh, Who it would affect the most, it's tough to know. Probably, just looking at it, probably Casey Fiend would be one of the first guys to go. But, uh, you know, if Altavilla struggles, or even if Edwin Diaz struggles, these are both guys who can be sent down. They have options left. Um, You know, that you could trade Nick Vincent. There's a lot of options that you can't uh, you can't say that anything is impossible with Jerry Depoto, but uh, yeah, when Simmons and Sheck come back, they're going to be in the bullpen. Uh, they really think highly of them, and don't forget about Tony Zick either, who is another hard-throwing righty who's probably going to make it back. And uh, we don't know when, but uh, what we do know is that the bullpens are really fickle. There's going to be a struggle. Somebody's going to get hurt. So. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how it plays itself out. But, uh, you know, with those three guys coming back, it probably points to Casey Feen and Nick Vincent being the first two out of the bullpen.
0: You mentioned uh, four words that Mariners fans definitely don't want to hear. Alex, I want to get your take on the four words of if Edwin Diaz struggles. Mm-hmm. Obviously, last year he was so lights out. Um, so. Is that is that something that Mariner fans should think about? You know, him possibly having uh uh off year, you know, kind of that freshman fifteen. I guess it would be a sophomore fifteen, sophomore, but freshman his, yeah, whatever it is. I'm I'm
1: way well, yeah,
0: out <laughs> anymore. Uh but uh do you think that he's um he's gonna struggle, you know, in his first full year of um of MLB bowl?
1: Uh, you don't you don't wanna think about that but you right, he's young. That's certainly a possibility if he does struggle. They've got a lot of bullpen arms, a lot of guys that throw hard that are can easily take it, or not, maybe not easily, but they can take his, his role at the back of the bullpen, or you can plug C-shake back in there once he gets healthy again, even though he blew a couple saves, but all the closers blow saves. It's not something you want to think about with Diaz. It's certainly a possibility. I hope it doesn't happen. I, I don't think it'll happen. He seems really... He just seems so amped for the season and ready to go after the World Baseball Classic that I don't think it'll be a problem, but sophomore slump is always something people talk about.
2: Edwin Diaz struggling is like life insurance. You don't want to think about it, but you definitely need to at least have a plan, and I think the Mariners do.
0: Right. They definitely, um, the key phrase, I guess, of this episode is organizational depth. There's clearly... (laughs) Tons of options for the Mariners, especially when it comes to the pen. So, do you guys have any final thoughts about the pen before we move on?
1: It's beautiful. (laughs) (laughs) Uh,
2: Yeah, don't be surprised if Jerry Depoto adds to it here in the next couple days. I mean, that's kind of what he does. But as it sits right now, uh, you know, it's probably the uh, it's probably the biggest question mark on the team. But that doesn't mean that it's bad. It's just because bullpens are bullpens but uh, it's always good to kind of hedge your bet with power arms. So uh, if the bullpen is bad, there's, like we said, organizational depth, but I like the bullpen. Um, there's a lot of filth coming out of there in the 7th, 8th, and ninth inning.
1: I also miss Archimedes Caminero. But, <laughs> oh, uh, you too? Yeah. Um, but, yeah, their bullpen really, really really has a lot of depth, organizational depth. So they could, they could certainly shorten the game if a starter could just get them into the 6th inning. Or just to the sixth inning, the game could be over just with this nice bullpen.
0: I just can't wait to see. Uh, he's in the KBO now, right?
1: Archimedes. Yeah. Yeah, something yeah. like
0: that. Yeah, I think uh, that'll be great to hear the uh, those um, Korean announcers when he makes <laughs> it. it'll. They they always have some epic calls. <laughs>
2: That's
0: I. I don't Archimedes try. Caminero
2: is the exactly. best name
0: in Mariner's history. We uh, will send a thank you note to his
1: parents.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So before we go into our people's voice segment, which are questions from you, the fans, uh, we'd be remiss not to go over our um, Mariner's favorite player bracket bracket, which just uh, is going to end within the next 15 hours. So by the time this goes up, it may be, uh, it may be winding down. So get your votes in. But uh, right now it's looking like uh, the kid, Ken Griffey Jr., is going to pull off the win uh, against Dave Niehaus and his wonderful voice and calls. Uh, He's up 68% to 32% with 100 votes and 15 hours left. So do you guys feel that the fans made uh, a wise choice selecting Griffey Jr.?
2: Uh, It's hard to knock them for it. It's definitely not the choice I would make.
0: Um... Who would you have chosen
2: uh, me Figgins. personally Sean Figgins <laughs> there's that joke um oh you, know, you know for me personally it's it's Edgar Martinez but uh you know I wrote about that a little while ago when we did our all-time roster he's my favorite player of all time so I'm a little biased there but uh just in this matchup alone I think Dave Niehaus is um w- way more deserving than uh than Ken Griffey Jr but uh it's hard to knock the choice the guy is a hall of famer and uh in about a couple of weeks, there'll be a statue of him out front of Safeco Field, so it's kind of hard to uh, to knock people's opinion on that.
1: Yeah, you can't really go wrong with either one. Even with the final four, you couldn't have gone wrong with any of those guys.
0: Yeah, all number one seeds making it. Um, you know, you obviously, and then you had a bunch of other great guys who made it to the elite eight, like Lou Panella and Ichiro. But you know, when it comes down to those final four, it's—I uh, think it, it seemed pretty destined for all that to happen. Were you guys surprised at all that uh, Willie Bloomquist made it to the elite eight? Yes and no. Uh, <laughs>
2: yeah, Nick and I actually—Nick actually asked me last on last week's podcast, um, you know, what Seattle's obsession with Willie Bloomquist was, and I didn't really have a good answer. Um, I know that uh, I know that the fans love him, and you know I really like him too. But uh, was I shocked? No, but uh, it was a little uh, <laughs> odd to see Willie Bloomquist as you know one of the eight most popular Mariners of all time. So uh, yeah, it was odd, I'd say.
1: Well, he's from the state of Washington. I think he was just kind of a, he was kind of a fan favorite at the time when the Mariners weren't too great. And he just did everything, and he had a fun name, and he was pretty clutch every once in a while, I think.
0: uh, It's it's fun, name is Archimedes Caminero, but not so much. Uh, I would say that, uh, you know, to Alex's point, that he did everything, you know, in a lull time for the Mariners, Um, you know, to he he hustled, and you know, for a local guy to hustle, you know, and he, he was quick, so I think he's. Still, uh, from 2000 to, to now, he's, like, third on the Mariners' stolen base list. So, you know, that kind of hustle and speed and effort, you know, that um, that transcends upon onto the fans, and, you know, they love it to see local products. So I think that um, that Alex is pretty spot on there. I don't I guess. I just – I was pretty much – Certain that
2: he was going to win the first round matchup. I think he was up, I think he was a 12 seed and he was up against uh, Julio Cruz. Uh, You know, I know a lot of Mariner fans who would be on Twitter probably wouldn't know much about Julio Cruz, but uh, I was kind of surprised when he beat Willie Bloom or uh, when he beat uh, Raul Mm Ivanez. You know, Ivanez is one of those very underrated Seattle Mariners, but uh, you know, the fans spoke. It's not the choice I would make, but. You know the winner of the bracket isn't the choice I would make. So, what does it matter?
0: All right. Yeah. As uh, you know, as I mentioned in a couple of the posts for the results, you know, it was uh, it's all about what the fans said. You know, we could uh, talk about it all we want, but ultimately, the Twitter and Facebook sphere have uh, spoken. And um, as I said, it looks like uh, Ken Griffey Jr. is going to win unless there's a miraculous comeback to. Um, to overcome a 68 to 32 deficit is uh, going to be pretty remarkable. So, and also for Griffey, it caps off. You know, at least from uh, Soto Mojo's standpoint. You know, as we said, he was on the Mariners all-time roster list, and now he's the Mariners' favorite. You know, and uh, he was uh, in the hall. Of, he got elected into the Hall of Fame last year, so let's say he's having a pretty good year.
1: It's an okay. pretty good
0: life yeah pretty good life yeah put on a couple pounds but you know that's uh that's all right
2: <laughs> yeah you hit 615 home runs you don't
0: have to be thin i thought you were gonna say 615 pounds <laughs> <laughs> so i guess we'll move on now to the people's voice so we got a question in from at just mariners so he asks, do we agree that the AL West has a good chance of putting three teams into the playoffs? And he suggests that it will be the Astros, the Rangers, and the Mariners, which seems to be uh, uh, the fairly unanimous option if the AL West is going to, to seed three, uh, three teams um, from various sources. So what do you guys think on that?
2: I think it's more likely the American League West will have four teams with a winning record. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I think the Angels probably find a way to win 81 to 83 games. But uh, do I think it's likely that three playoff teams come out of the AL West? No. Uh, Do I think it's possible? Yeah. I mean, the Central is pretty much – it's Cleveland and maybe Detroit. But, uh, you know, Detroit just keeps on getting older and older and older. So, you know, the Central is going to be Cleveland. And then in the East, you're probably looking at Boston (laughs) and – you know maybe Toronto. So yeah, if there was ever a year where you're going to have three American League West teams, it's probably this one. So is it possible? Yeah, do I think it's the most likely scenario? No.
1: I mean, it could happen, you don't know, but the, the Astros are young and they have the great isn't Carlos his gray beard now Already he just diet for the WBC something like that. And Rangers were the winners of the division last year. And the Mariners are obviously we're always homers and we want them to see them do well, but I think they are going to do well this year finally. And the Angels always are just weird and have a lot of payroll, but don't do well. And they have Mike Trout, but yeah, I like I like your idea of uh, four with a winning record rather than uh, three making the playoffs. But if if they're all going to have a winning record, that means that they're going to uh, be beating up on each other a lot. So that might not be too great for the Mariners.
0: Yeah. Hmm. I think it's going to come down to how the AL East does. I think that uh, not to to show off my uh, my Canadian pride, but I think that with uh, with Strowman, Liriano, and Sanchez uh, as a three uh, in the rotation, um, plus some other roster moves that they made. You know, they lost Edwin and Carnacion, but bringing back Batista. I think that the Blue Jays are going to make a run for it, and then uh, don't sleep on the Yankees. Last year, you know, with their young squad, they were pretty impressive. And you know, unlike I would say all other teams in spring training, where you say, "Oh, it's just you know young guys who may not make the roster," the Yankees are basically fielding the young guys who are going to be on their MLB squad, and um, they have the best record in all of spring training at twenty-two and seven. So, uh, I wouldn't count them out either. So with the Red Sox winning the division and those two teams, I think it's going to make it tough for, uh, three AL West teams. I think those are probably the two most competitive divisions in, um, in the AL. So, you know, but I, I definitely, I'm going to uh, third on that idea of four with a, uh, with a winning, winning record. And obviously, uh, sucks to be an Oakland athletic.
1: Billy Bean, Billy Bean can pull something. You don't know Moneyball. There you go. And don't forget that the Blue Jays have Justin Smoke, so he'll he'll replace Carnacion <laughs> and Carnacion.
0: Right. Well, he's he, So is he still there? Yeah. Right? yeah, he's still there. He was uh, there was question if he would remain there, but he uh, he's still there.
1: So. Um, and they have Montero too, right? See, they're just they. That's how they're going to replace Carnacion and Venancio.
0: Yeah, you know, as long as uh, we don't see one of those uh, sea of blues in Seattle again, you know, where the Blue Jays just uh, swarmed the stands and overwhelmed every Seattle Mariner fan in Safeco.
2: Oh, that's definitely going to happen Yeah, I again.
1: think that'll happen again. Yeah, I
2: I don't think that really – I that's one of those things that I know I'm supposed to care about, but I really don't. I mean, you spend money at Safeco Field, it doesn't go to the Blue Jays goes to the Mariners, so I, I don't really care. I mean, it's kind of annoying, but, you know, I've always kind of liked the Blue Jays. They I don't know. Their fans aren't super annoying. They're, this is their one time they get to see their team. And for the Mariners, they get to see their team, you know, 78 other times and hopefully in the postseason too. So, you know, it's one of those things that I'm supposed to care about. And it's one of those things where I want to go to a game, but it's not enough that I'm, you know, going to be pounding – on you know Mariners fans doors and telling him to get to the stadium I don't care that money goes to the right team and that's all I care about
0: Mm -hmm. yeah I mean it's good to see that kind of devotion Uh, I don't know about your guys knowledge of Canadian geography but uh
1: Toronto's a long way away from Seattle
0: yeah (laughs) well that that's a good start uh uh even though Vancouver is only an hour and a half away, it's actually pretty convenient. But, uh, you know, when you saw fans last year, they had signs that they came all the way from uh, the far spots of Alberta, which is like a 15-hour drive. You know, that's, uh, that shows devotion. Um, so I think uh, that... Uh,
2: this kind of shows, shows stupidity.
1: Crazy <laughs> 15,
2: it's ones. a 15-hour drive just to get to see. I mean, Seattle's beautiful. It's a great ballpark, but I hope they had like a a West Coast swing plant or something like that. Because why wouldn't you just drive down to New York?
1: Well, mean, if you go <laughs> to three games, that adds up to fifteen hours. But, you yeah, I mean, better, yeah, you, yeah, I
2: hope. I mean, I hope you made a weekend out of it, and then maybe the Jays went down to Los Angeles to play the the Angels or something. But I mean, I mean, I guess they're just more dedicated than I am. But uh, I wouldn't travel fifteen. I wouldn't travel fifteen uh you know hours by car to go watch the mariners play anywhere
0: so I mean, <laughs> kudos to them
2: but i'll just catch it on tv
0: yeah well they do have the site of the beautiful canadian rockies um mm. so that um i'm sure the trip was very beautiful and maybe they did take a uh a longer trip so we'll see what happens there so uh that was the question that we got this week other than that um you know, unless you guys have anything else to uh, kind of add, you know, we've kind we've got, I think it's five games left in spring training ball, and the regular season starts in eight days. Our next podcast will be posted uh, on opening day. So what are your guys' final thoughts on this last week and how the roster is going to shape up and everything like that? Uh, no injuries. I think you're going to see 13 pitchers, uh,
2: 12 hitters, uh, the bench is going to be Heredia, Moter, and Ruiz. And, uh, yeah, you know, just the biggest thing is, is please don't get hurt. Uh, Cruz and Cano need to get over their cold. Um, you know, hopefully that's not something that lingers or anything like that. But, uh, you know, just stay healthy. I think the team's going to be fine. It'll break camp with, you know, with the extra pitcher, and that's fine. They play ten straight games. They might need the extra arm. So... Uh, yeah, you know, just just stay healthy, please. Please, please. Nobody get hurt.
1: I, I can't argue with any of that. That all sounded great. Like, I don't really disagree with any of that. Uh, just that can't wait to see Felix back on the boat for opening day. There we go.
0: And um, one last note, Colby, I swear this is the last time I'll bring it up. But uh, just by coincidence, uh, I was watching um, – Tim and Sid, which is kind of like the radio guys here uh, up in Canada, they have a television program. It's kind of like Mike and Mike. And uh, they must have been listening to our podcast because they had a whole debate for their three hour television segment where they asked every guest about whether they liked pineapple on their pizza.
1: Oh.
2: Is, uh, is the pineapple on the pizza, the Canadian version of is a hot dog a sandwich? Because that's kind of what it feels like. But
0: uh, No, it was more of a, most people didn't like the idea, but I think that it was either uh, they hated it or it was like pizza's delicious no matter what. So you can put whatever you want on it.
2: Yeah, Smart people up in Canada, but uh, pineapple on pizza, it's it's the only thing that can destroy pizza.
1: It's a great
2: takeout.
0: You like
1: it? Yes, I'd put anything on a pizza and I'll eat it.
0: How about thought, how about God. chocolate? Chocolate? Yeah.
1: Oh heck, yeah! Like like a I had, dessert I had, pizza. I had, a, I had yeah. a crab. No, just like if you put chocolate on just like a cheese pizza, I'd eat it. Oh. Or I had crab on pizza one time. And that was pretty good.
0: That doesn't sound too bad. Yeah, that sounds pretty good actually. Uh, so, yeah, so I guess uh, one last shout-out is um, the 2017 uh, World Curling Women's Champions is Team Canada, so shout-out to them. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, Rachel Rachel Homan brought home a uh, undefeated 13-0 run to beat the Russians yesterday, so that was fantastic. You're
2: just speaking gibberish
0: to what me do you, right What now. do
1: you call the stone in curling?
2: Isn't it just called a stone?
1: Yeah, spot on. It's called the stone. Nice.
0: Yeah. Good pull. Uh-huh. Yeah, but uh, yeah, so that's it, guys. Um, thanks for uh, thanks for whoa, joining. Oh hey, hold on. If we're shouting
2: people out, can I shout somebody out? Of real course. Past? Yeah. No uh, Kelsey Plum uh, mm-hmm. just finished an amazing career at the University of Washington. I know she's not listening to this podcast, but she deserves to be she mentioned might be. by.
1: Can we tweet this <laughs> podcast at her and see what she says? Of course. Yeah, there we'll you. give
2: it a shot. But she had an incredible career. It came to an end this weekend. Uh, you know, the only player that's ever had me slightly interested in women's basketball. Uh, you know, I, I mean, she's, <laughs> she's incredible. She's she's James Harden. So, I mean, uh, all-time leading scorer, one of the best players to ever play in Seattle in any sport, in any gender. So, congratulations to her and her great career. And, uh, you know, hopefully the Seattle Storm can... Uh, <laughs> can uh, trade everything they own and end up with Kelsey Plum.
1: That would be smart.
2: (laughs) I'd go to games. I mean, so, yeah, congratulations to uh, Miss Kelsey Plum on her great career.
0: Awesome. Well, we will tweet out to her, and hopefully she becomes a regular listener. Maybe we'll even have her on as a guest if, uh, if she wants to join. So... All right, guys, it's been great, and uh, we'll catch you next week for the sixth installment of the Soto Mojo podcast. Uh, signing off, Adam, Colby, and Alex. See
2: so,